the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we've got a phenomenal show today. I'm so excited. I pre-recorded both of these interviews that are coming up, but you're going to love them. Uh, One is with a a gentleman named Dr. Damon, a professor, about... um, how to understand your own life and the lives of people around you in terms of history and your own history is very well done. He is, I think he's a psychologist by training, but my, I have a preference against psychologists. I think they tend to be a little bit much, but he is not. Uh, it was an extraordinary book, uh, and the book, uh, which we'll re- preview, is uh, called A Round of Golf with My Father, A Man He Never Met. It's a wonderful interview. And the second interview is, uh, we, it's a replay of the one uh, about a book called 21 Steps, about the people who are the, um, uh, the, the uh, men and women who uh, stand guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it was an extraordinary interview. I wanted to replay it again today on Veterans Day. And that's what brings me, let me bring full circle. I've just got a, a short opening today of what you need to know. What you need to know is on a day like today, on uh, Veterans Day, when you are celebrating the history of people who are willing to die uh, for us, right? Veterans Day is people who are willing to go and put their life on the line because they believe in America and they believe in us. And they are veterans, right? Some of them served in the war. Some of them just served in the military. Uh, But these are extraordinary. It's an extraordinary step to take that um, vow uh, to be uh, someone who would be willing to die uh, for your fellow man. And the thing about a day like today, uh, the reason we celebrate uh, Veterans Day on November 11th is because November 11th, at the 11th hour, the 11th minute of the 11th day of the 11th month, and I believe it was 1919, I always misstate that, but it was the first armistice where we ended the First World War, which at the time was the war to end all wars. In some ways, it was the most um, most uh, atrocious in terms of uh, trench warfare and all kinds of things. But the point here is we have to remember our history. We are not, we're not trapped by our history but we have to remember our history. One of the, what you need to know right now is one of the battles that's going on in our country is people who want to force you and me to live in just this moment. Now, it's tempting because that's how we are conscious, right? We're not conscious in the past. We're not conscious in the future. We're conscious in this moment as you listen to this, as I talk. But there's a part of us, and this is in our nature that is within history. We have parents, we have pasts, we have relationships, we have uh, uh, events, we have memories. And the fact is that what is when people push us to denigrate our past, destroy our, our past, take down our statues, what you need to know is they're denying our humanity. Now, for me, and I hope for many of you and most of you and someday all of you, that's because I believe in, the, in a certain moment in history when God became man in the, in the form of uh, Christ. But, and that's a big root. That's a big anchor. 
Because if you don't believe in any history, if you just believe in the moment, then you're, you're trapped in a, in a spiral that leads to nothing but uh, uh, unease and sometimes happiness fleeting, sometimes joy fleeting, sometimes pain fleeting. Everything just becomes a, a rush that is empty. What you need to know is that on a day like today, as we celebrate our veterans and we celebrate men and women who, in our history of living together, decided they would take a vow to put their lives on the line, and some of them and many, many people, many men and women died. That history is really valuable and really important and really special and worth honoring and celebrating and understanding and believing in. Because what you need to know is our history isn't our destiny, but it's part of our being. And it's part of our being because our history, moments in time in history, is a, is, is a part of what forms us and what will form us into the future. We'll never be rid of that. We'll never be rid of the, uh, the gift of time. And so anyway, it's a short, uh, a short mention of this uh, and these two great interviews that are coming up with uh, Professor Damon as well as uh, Jeff Gottesfeld, who wrote the book 21 Steps. We'll come back in a moment. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have to tell you, I've been, my listeners know, uh, uh, Professor, that I, I love books and I love to read books and I, I love getting books and reading them. And this book that I'm reading, it's called A Round of Golf with My Father, The New Psychology of Exploring Your Past to Make Peace with Your Present. It's by Professor William Damon of Stanford University. And uh, I got this book in the mail and and I, I read it. I do some, a trick too. I read first and last chapter. And then I went pouring through all the rest of them because it's uh, Templeton Press published it. It's an extraordinary book. And so first, let me welcome uh, Professor Damon, uh, professor at Stanford University and uh, a uh, prolific writer, uh, also a senior fellow at Hoover Institution. Welcome to the program. How are you? Uh, I'm great. It's great to be with you. So this book, first of all, this book, um, I I looked at your other books. I haven't read your other books. This book, though, is more, it's almost a memoir, but it's not a memoir because you're actually talking about a tool sort of proving a tool that can work for people from your, you know, your teaching as a psych- as psychology and, and systems. So how'd this come about? I mean, tell me about how this book came about. Well, it, it's a good question because I do two things in the book. I talk about an amazing revelation in my own life that I had to come to terms with personally, but as a psychologist, it revealed to me how it's helpful to think about the past in the right kind of way in order to prepare yourself for the future and in order not to get hung up on the past. And the big revelation was, it came about from my daughter actually, who was a a young adult and she got interested or curious about the grandfather she never met, my father. He disappeared from my life at birth. He was over in Germany fighting in World War II And the only thing I was ever told about it when I was a kid was that he was, quote, missing in World War II. So I assumed he was killed in action and so on. Later, I found out when I was a young adult that he'd actually survived the war. But I figured he just abandoned my mother. He was an irresponsible scoundrel. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Wasn't interested. Bottom line is my daughter got interested when I turned about 60, a little older than 60. And at that point, 
I was able to listen to what she had to say. She went online, she found out all about him. And it turned out he had, he was dead at that time, but he had a substantial life as a patriot. He was served a very courageous career in the army during the war and after the war. He then worked for the Foreign Service in a lot of work, anti-communist work in Germany and Southeast Asia, had a distinguished career, had a second family uh, after he divorced my mother. And I found out about my half-sisters, my cousins, a whole world opened up to me. Mm. And in finding out about all this, I found a way to actually have a kind of a relationship with the guy a path to forgiving him. And it told me a lot about, first of all, my own life, but also about my field, psychology, and how people can think about their past in a way that liberates themselves from past resentments and regrets and all the things that did not go right earlier in your life and prepares you, as I said in the subtitle of my book, to make peace with your present and uh, prepare for a positive, optimistic future. Uh, we're talking, the, the author is uh, Professor William Damon of Stanford University. The book is A Round of Golf with My Father, The New Psychology of Exploring Your Past to Make Peace with Your Present. Again, uh, Templeton Press. You can find it anywhere you find books just out, out in this this year. Um, so, but um, before I get to some more questions, I want to talk about the life review and how that tool, which there's others that have sort of developed that. As I read the book, it's interesting. One of the early sort of developers of this notion of a life review that could be a tool. He actually, I think, started it and went on to something else and never kind of came back. I forget his name now. But before I get to that, I want to ask you this. As I read the book, it, it, it came out, um, the part about you, you came away from it um, feeling whether you, you talk about missing your dad, but you came away feeling like, huh, my dad turned out to be, um, you know, not just somebody that a scoundrel or whatever. He had this great life and he was successful in, in ways. Um, but what I didn't know is as a 60 something year old man and as yourself a major success and with nice children, it sounds like in a life, um, there had to be like a 25 year old you somewhere that was pissed at the guy and yeah. still and still pissed at the guy that you had to go through your life and your mother had to work her tail off and and other people even if their dad was a piece of garbage he was there I'm not you know what I mean and, and yeah. I, 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 how did, did you did that did that did that come didn't come through in the writing necessarily did it come through when you went through this or it was part of it just sort of that that goes fades away a bit. Yeah, well, that's what I discovered uh, when I confronted the reality of what actually happened in his life. And I also discovered a lot of stuff about how he influenced my life in ways I never knew. For example, my mother sent me to the same school he went to. Right. I never knew that, but that was a great thing in my life. And the, the answer, you, you're asking exactly the right question, because I had all of those resentments and regrets that I lived with for my whole life that I didn't even allow myself to recognize. And I'll give you just one example so you get a feeling for it. Uh, one example that's kind of symbolic of everything else. And it's the reason the title of the book is A Round of Golf with My Father. Obviously, I never played a round of golf with him because he right. was dead by the time I discovered all this. But when I first read the stuff that my daughter sent me, which was a oral history from the United States Information Agency where he worked. And one of the lines in that amazing document was, Phil Damon, my father, was yeah. a great golfer. Well, as soon as I saw the 
sentence, Phil Damon was a great golfer, waves of resentment passed through me because the first thing I thought was, geez, I love golf. I'm not that good at it, frankly. How come the guy could never have come around even once to teach me how to play the game? (laughs) Right, right. Could never afford lessons, you know, or any of that. And that revealed to me that actually I'd been living with this resentment for years, for decades. And I never allowed myself to recognize it, but it did affect my emotions. It affected, I quote Faulkner in the book, uh, the, the past is not dead. It is not even past. Right. You can't bury it. You can't bury these things. They always come back to haunt you unless you openly, frankly, confront them and work them through. And so that's what I discovered in my life. And I wrote about that in the book, and you mentioned the life review. Yeah. I found this process that was developed by a great psychiatrist named Robert Butler. He was the first director of our National Institute on Aging, Mm -hmm. and he developed this early in his career before he became a public figure. But it's this great process for going back, for dealing with the hardships early in your life and the resentments and the things that didn't go right, thinking about the positive purposes you've had that you're proud of your accomplishments and bringing it all forward in order to really figure out who you are who you want to be and moving ahead in the future so and this is what i'm glad you brought up because i mentioned him too and his his name is robert butler and you talk about in this early in the book that he came up with this idea of life reviews and then he went on to do a career in gerontology that's what i wanted to ask you about i want to ask you your instinct i don't know if it's something but my wife's a geriatrics physician internal medicine so in my life, I have a lot of exposure and, and hear a lot about seniors, right? And, and, and this extraordinary gift we have in this country of, of, of medicine that lets us live into our 80s and 90s and all. It's amazing. Um, yeah. but, but, what, but, but one of the major problems is how we handle and deal with memory, how we, you know, how we function to remember. And I wondered about what, the, what, what your thoughts are on sort of somehow uh, this life review also... I don't know, um, not just your mind, the synapses or whatever, but your soul, you sort of, you, you sort of, um, because people get, you know, one of the things I really liked in the book, by the way, we're, again, we're talking with, uh, with uh, Dr. William Damon, and he's a professor at Stanford University. The book is Around the Gob of My Father. I love that you talked about how <laughs> for 30 years you were busy with your family, you know, kids and, and life and all. And then your kids finally grew up and you then you went back to play golf and it sounded like other things in your life. So life is busy and incredibly crammed and somehow stopping to think about what your life was is, I don't know, you can't do it without somehow feeling better about yourself. I think even when you're frustrated that you were poor poor, or you were not, you know, you got cut from the basketball team or whatever, somehow the thinking and reviewing your life in a more systematic way gives it sort of, uh, you know, makes people whole. Am I, would you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you absolutely captured that. That's the theme of the book. And I write a lot about memory in the book. And yeah, I mean, and Butler's method of life review was all about thinking about the past in a, in an intentional systematic way that uses the past and all your memories as resources for you. He, he was a psychiatrist that dealt with patients that were aging and fill, filled with depression. Right. Uh, And he wrote that the problem was that they were thinking about their memories in a very haphazard, 
kind of um, uh, not very positive way. They were hung up on the things that they felt they made mistakes about, that they did wrong. And they were not paying attention to, first of all, the accomplishments and purposes that they had. Secondly, the ways that they overcame and survived some of the hard things. And he wrote that in a life review, if you absolutely intentionally focus on some of the strengths that you've had in life and some of the lessons you've learned from the mistakes, everybody makes mistakes, everybody has hard things in their life, but thinking about them and thinking about those memories in the right way, which is, the positive that came out of those memories, the lessons you've learned, the strengths you demonstrated, that prepares you for having a positive rather than a depressing current state of mind. And uh, and that's and I, and I, I write about the life review and I tried the life review out on myself. Right. The book is a case in, a case of one. I, I did this <laughs> process right. on myself right. and it, it, it helped me a lot. It, as I said, it gave me a pathway to, uh, respecting my father to not feeling sorry for myself and I even did I even did one for my my mother was also uh, passed away at the time but I even did a life review for her in her absence and uh, wrote about in the book how she also uh, overcame this blow of having her husband abandon her and ended up with a very fulfilling life uh, after a lot of courage and strength that she had to uh, pull herself through as the single mother of an only child without, in desperate financial conditions. But she did it. She did it with a lot of grit. Yeah. And I wrote about her in that way, yeah. too, that there's things to feel good about in your life, but only if you think about your memories in a positive way. And just one more sentence on this. Um, the other thing you can do to add to your memories, which I, is part of the life review, is you can go back, look for old records, school records, military records, talk to old friends or relatives, and have the conversations with some of the people before they pass away. Uh, all of these are ways to bolster your memories and and use your past as a positive resource in your life. Uh, we're Again, we're talking with a uh, professor at Stanford University, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, William Damon. Dr. Damon, his uh, book is Around a Golf with My Father. Um, okay, one last line of question, because this question, um, in the book, you wrote about a memory you had back when you were a young boy, I think maybe teenage, and you won a driving competition. I think this is right. And you yeah. somehow you connected with someone who was there, and he remembered you winning the driving competition with a putter. And of course, you said there's no you said in the book, there's no way that's true. It probably wasn't true. But here's what I want to ask you. And this is like uh, when my, my wife, our kids are my kids are uh, 17, 14, 12 and nine. And, you know, we look back on 10 years ago. Right. You, you probably look back on 25 or 30 years ago because your kids are you're older than I am. But we look back on 10 years ago. And all I remember is the is the positive things about Christmas, for example. And my wife temperamentally will remember, oh, that was the year that the basement flooded. Right. And, and, and here, but here's the thing, both of those things are true, yeah. but I, I, but I stopped remembering that the basement flooded and my wife remembered, she remembered both actually, she said, but I, I want to ask a different question. Sometimes we actually believe as a memory, something that isn't true because it helps us, not hurts us. Sometimes it hurts us. And we know that's another problem, but sometimes it's, I'm going to remember if, for example, had this never happened to you or, or something never happened, you had remembered that you you had a memory of your father 
dying in the war, going missing. And you, and you sort of, it was somewhat heroic. You, you, you associated with him as a hero and then it shifted, right? So how some people going back opens up a world of, of trouble that maybe they're better not to open up. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And the, the important thing is what, what's the meaning you make out of those memories? And the meaning comes from your current needs, obviously. And what I write about in the book is that memories are not accurate. It's not, it's not like you have a camera and you've taken a snapshot and it always right. looks the same. You're always revising those memories. It does help to find out as much as you can about the truth of what actually happened. And you can do that by talking to other people that were there at the time, by looking up old records. Because if you, if you have the wrong idea, some, sometime, some, someday somebody's going to poke that bubble. That's what actually happened to me with my memory of my father. Until I was age 20 or so, until I was in college, I thought he was killed in action, as you said, as a hero. Then my mother came by uh, one day uh, when I was in college and said, well, actually, your father is still alive, and he's been sending me $100 a month in child support. I <laughs> Maybe I split it with you. And wow. that, poked, that poked the bubble uh, in my yeah, memory. Yeah, I see. And that, and that was very awkward, uncomfortable, embarrassing. And that's what I started having the problems because I emotionally because I resented. Like I was angry at him because he hurt my mother very badly and so it's it's best for the best thing is to find out as accurately as you can what actually happened your basement flooded but you also had a great christmas right and put those together put those together in an accurate way that highlights the positive that came out of that Right. Okay, the basement flooded, but guess what? We got it fixed and we still had a great Christmas. Right. That's a good story. It's a good story about you overcoming something hard. It's kind of a challenge. It's interesting. And that's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. So that's what I write about in the book, yeah. in the life review, is how you can do that. How you, you don't have to fool yourself or deceive yourself or, or bury the truth. You can deal with the truth in a positive way. And that's how you have a robust optimistic sense of who you are and and where your life is headed yeah well and also and, and another thing i liked about it is you can also figure out that you, you know everybody goes through something and some sometimes somebody's sometimes sometimes somebody has you know leukemia when they're 15 but and and everybody sees that and raises money and then they recover somebody when they're 25 finds out their dad really didn't die and disappear and, and spends five years nobody sees it and in other words you can you can survive is another part of the thing I, unfortunately i'm out of time the book is a round of golf with my father the new psychology of exploring your past to make peace with your present uh, William Damon is the author. He, Dr. Damon is a professor at Stanford University uh, and also a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. And uh, one last thing I'll say this, I hate to do it, but I, I, looking at my notes, imagine what life's going to be like in 25 years for all these young people that have like every moment of their life recorded. I mean, my kids have more video of themselves doing thing. I, I can't even find a picture of me playing little league baseball and I've got more, <laughs> you know, I mean, their memory is going to be, it's going to be a different challenge, but uh, anyway, thank you very much, uh, professor Damon. Congratulations on the book. And I hope we can talk again sometime soon. Thanks Ed. It's been great talking to you. Okay. We'll uh, take a break. Everybody we will be right back again. The book is a round of golf with my father uh, by professor William Damon. I'll put it all up on social media and uh, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. <laughs> 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. I was sent in the mail a beautiful book. I'm holding it in my hands. It's a, it's a, uh, a larger, a large, I don't know what the size would be, um, uh, maybe 12 inches by 18 inches, and it's called 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, produced by uh, Candlewick Press, published by Candlewick Press. It's an extraordinary text about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it's illustrated one Wonderfully. And the author is with us, Jeff Gottesfeld. He wrote it, and it's illustrated by a man named Matt Tavares. So, sir, first of all, welcome. Congratulations on the book. It's perfectly timed, as, as we talked about off the air, for this time of year with Veterans Day. But congratulations. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. If you had told me that when I was 20 that I would one day write a picture book for children <laughs> about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier... I would have I would have suggested psychological treatment, but here I am. <laughs> well, good for good for you. Well, and that, let me ask you that. I mean, is your how'd you end up here? Did you are you someone who uh, I know that you're an author? You've done other things um, for all different kinds of of things. I also I think I read you're from L.A. How did this pop into your world as something you wanted to write about and create? Well, some of it was a, a sort of a, a philosophical switch. I mean, when I was twenty. I like to write, but you know my 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 standpoint and attitude during the Vietnam War era about the United States yeah. military and United States institutions it was skeptical at best. But you know I grew up and I lived yeah. around America and I traveled and I, I met people from everywhere and I lived in Europe for a while and met people who had you know lived behind the Iron Curtain when it was there or who were doing everything they could to get out of you know, to get out of China, uh, to come here. And I, and I came to believe that, and this is true, that the United States military is an incredible force for good on the planet. It has been. And with that stance, it was possible for me to have a moment of revelation on Memorial Day in 2016 in the Los Angeles National Cemetery, looking wow. at a headstone there that said, unknown, that I didn't know anything about the tomb, really. Wow. And I was a, I'd been an American studies major in college. I didn't know who wow. was buried there, when it was consecrated, um, when the other unknowns came, uh, what it was all about, and certainly knew nothing about the tomb guards, who are hmm. you know, men and women from all walks of life who are devoted to perfection in honor of the unknowns. We're, again, we're talking with uh, Jeff Gottesfeld. His uh, new book is called 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It's really cool because I, I like about it. Actually, I think the title is kind of good, but in a way, um, what you talk about in here is who are the unknowns, you know, and, and meaning where they come from, how did it come about. And if you've been here, and, you know, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, but I now live in yeah. northern Virginia. And so about a year and a half ago, I took my whole family and we went to Arlington Cemetery and we were going to we went on a tour with a retired military man. And he walked us around the place and he said, I'm going to bring you over here. And he said, I'm going to show you this. And we got to tomb. I'd been to the tomb on a soldier years ago, but he's an army guy. And he said, now. The guys that guard this, the guys that do this, this is a year and two years ago. He said, these are spectacular men and women, and it's a really prestigious detail. It's, you know, it's an assignment. And in fact, um, so I learned all about it. And then I see this book. It's extraordinary. So, um, but now, what is it that you think the American people, readers need? Why do they need this book? When you write something, you're writing for someone. Why do they need it? 
Do you, is it because you want to get them moving from where you felt you were? Like, hey, I'm not. I'm a little indifferent now. I appreciate it. Is it perfect? Is it now we need it more than ever? What? Tell me about that sort of sense of this. I'm so impressed by the tomb guards with their willingness to self-efface and give up uh-huh. their identities as individuals for a time in selfless service for something larger. And I feel like our country has moved away from that. When we think about our veterans on this Veterans Day, all of Mm -hmm. them, them serving now, those who served before, some who made the ultimate sacrifice, um, did it out of a sense of selflessness. And I am... Look, I'm the first person to embrace the you know, sort of values of, of much of children's literature today. Tolerance and kindness and compassion are crucial, but they're not the only values. And values mm-hmm. like like honor and devotion and appreciation and gratitude and discipline and focus and reverence are also important. That's what my book is uh, again, for. Again, we're t- for kids to yeah, see we're t- again. We're talking with Jeff Gottesfeld, who wrote this book, 21 Steps, and really created this book, uh, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, illustrated by Matt Tavares. Um, In the middle of the book, when you sort of shift from talking about the tomb, which is powerful enough, about who is the, who are these people that were unknown? You know, it's almost impossible for young people, I think, to realize that there were people that died in World War One. We never knew who they were. We never will. And and now people say, well, just check their smartphone, you know, check their last location or whatever. And so it's really, it's it, that part of it's important. But then you shift over to these men and women women that guard the thing, the sentinel guards, and you go through because because it's kind of this combination of discipline and showmanship. But as you point out, it's kind of lonely for every one of these play times where there's a hundred people watching, you're going to do this in the rain, in the snow, and you got to go out and, and they, and they do it over and over again and they all live together, right? They live together in this community, right? Well, think about this. During the COVID time, when Arlington was closed, there were no visitors to the tomb. And yet the tomb guards were out there. Um, They serve (laughs) in three three reliefs of six soldiers each. They are 27 Uh hours on and then off for two days. So when they are off, they are away from the tomb like any other soldier would be. During their time on, and I've been in the tomb guard quarters, they are there. They are focused. They are eating, sleeping, practicing, shining their shoes, getting ready, and critiquing each other's performances on the mat. Um, This (laughs) is the center of their world. Uh, So that's interesting to me. You got you got you got permission to go inside and kind of how that how how does that work out? Because I imagine a lot of people want to know something. Did you have to apply for that and kind of run through a gauntlet to be able to do that? When did that happen? Good to write a book about it. No, to be no Matt Matt, Matt Tavares, the artist, um, was able uh-huh. to visit while he was preparing his artwork, and it was super helpful to to him. Uh, um, for me, right. I didn't get to enter the tomb guard quarters until this past summer, after the book was oh. done, when I made a presentation there to uh, to a, a number of guards, including including one, um, the sergeant of the guard, Chelsea Porterfield who's doing a program with me tomorrow um, at the wow. National Archives at 11 a.m. Eastern, wow. which is going to be live streamed to, uh, to school. Oh, great. Um, so, oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's exciting. It is. It's really it was a great development for me. And 
and meaningful in that, you know, this book remarkably is being embraced left, right, and center. There's always, yeah. you know, we're a big country. There's always going to be elements yeah. um, who are who are fringe in either way. You know, my <laughs> when you have yeah. 330 million people, it gets really flaky at the edges. However, yeah. the vast majority, they're with us on this. Yeah. By the way, at the beginning of the book, uh, I should say there's the Sentinel's Creed, which I won't read except to tell people to uh, uh, the open is my dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. And it goes on. It's extraordinary. Um, by the way, I also was the image and tell Mr. Tavares. It's a great one. Later in the book, you've you're, you've now talked about the uh, Sentinels and all. And then he's got a snowy picture, depiction of the tomb and the, and the inscription on the tomb, which is here rests in honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. It's wonderful. And the image of it in person is extraordinary. Um, So I got to ask you this. Do you know, I know one really famous, well, not famous, but a four-star general who was uh, one of the uh, Sentinel officers or maybe maybe as a kid right out of school. Are are the Sentinels officers or are they, the Sentinels are enlisted and the officer that runs it, there's an officer that runs it, right? Is that right? Well, they are all, they are all enlisted um, and okay. the sergeant of the guard, I believe, is was is non commissioned. Uh, this is not okay. my area of, of expertise, but because okay. Chelsea, I know was sergeant, was sergeant first class. Everyone. Well, else I'll tell. Is yeah. Enlisted. So. so- so I'll tell you this one, which will make right, left, and center. Some on the left and center maybe uh, be interested, but uh, but on the right they'll be excited. Uh, the guy that I walked around Arlington Cemetery with was General Flynn, General Mike Flynn, who's a friend. But the big reason mm-hmm. that he knew so much about it is his brother, who is Charlie Flynn, who's a four-star general in in the in Asia now. He's in charge of all the American troops. He his first assignment out of school, he went to URI and was in uh, ROTC, was to be assigned to the um, maybe he did one short billet somewhere else. And then he was there for like two and a half years. And he still says, I remember General Flynn, Mike Flynn saying to me, his brother still says it was one of the it was the, one of the best assignments he ever had. Just the the honor, the power of it. And that's um, and he talks about it all the time. In fact, I I'm going to send this copy of the book over to the to those guys because they it was such a meaningful thing. And for army guys, you probably know this and gals. It's very, very well military in general, but very powerful to have to to for them. It's a kind of anchor. Arlington is an anchor in a way itself, but the tomb is especially. It is, and and it's it's nearly impossible to become a tomb guard. The testing yeah. that you must t- succeed at <laughs> to do it, and yeah. the ways you can get bounced out along that testing. I mean, there have only been. You know, I think there have been less than 700 tomb guards since the guard was inaugurated. And lest we pat ourselves on our back too much, the guard was inaugurated because not long after the tomb was consecrated, people used to go up there and picnic because the view was beautiful. Uh, And and, (laughs) no, and we had that and we we had, you know, beauty and and honor and reverence needed to be restored to the place. So, you know, it's the same thing all over again. <laughs> it's not, this isn't the same, this isn't the same, but it is, you reminded me of the criteria, um, and we're talking again, and I've got to wrap it up, Jeff. Jeff Gottesfeld is the author, 21 Steps, illustrated by Matt Tavares, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and available anywhere books are sold to, too, but I was just thinking, by the way, uh, the, the Swiss Guard at the Vatican, they have a similar thing. Yeah. You can only get in if you're a certain height, you know, all these kinds of rules, and it's very elite 
neat thing to be. And they, they just basically march and, I don't know, guard the bronze door in, in the Vatican somewhere or something. But uh, anyway, so that's just was a thinking of you there. Well, the book is perfect, especially for Veterans Day, but also for people that appreciate the military. As you said, somehow it's transcending right or left. It's just, hey, this is us. And that's really cool. So congratulations again. Thank you so much. It was an honor to write it and to be with you. All right. Jeff Gottesfeld, the author again of 21 Steps, Guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, his illustrator, Matt Tavares, also extraordinary work. And again, Chad, excuse me, Candlewick Press. I might have misstated that earlier. Candlewick Press. All right, everybody, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Public discourse is an important part of our system of government. That's why the very First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution is devoted entirely to the preservation of it. From protections on speech and religion to protections on assembly, the press, and the redress of grievances... All of the First Amendment works as a cohesive whole to secure meaningful public discourse from government interference which would stifle it. However, when bad actors enter the public discourse in bad faith, they damage this marketplace of ideas that our founding fathers so strongly wished to protect. State Representative Christopher Rabb of Pennsylvania is one such bad actor. Rabb introduced a bill for the sole purpose of mocking the incredibly successful heartbeat bill of Texas which protects unborn children whenever their heartbeat can be detected. Rab's ill-intended bill would force all men to get vasectomies, either after having their third child or when they turn 40 years old. Obviously, Rab's bill is not a serious attempt to pass a law. Instead, he's wasting the time and tax dollars of Pennsylvania citizens to get a few headlines mentioning his name. Nothing about Rab's bill contributes to the public discourse on abortion, I may have a degree in medical ethics, but anyone who's taken half a high school biology class should be able to tell you that there's no equivalency between an unborn child and forced sterilization. Yet Representative Rabb is playing dumb and doing it intentionally, and he's only in it for the headlines. I'm not going to pretend that real pro-choice Americans do not have real concerns about poverty and women who find themselves in desperate situations. My heart goes out to those women, and I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to find real opportunities to give these women the resources they need. However, I cannot and will not condone the taking of an innocent human life. We Americans are at our best when we work together to find solutions to problems. I'm confident that we can find a way to love both mothers and their children. Silly bills like Representative Christopher Rabb's vasectomy bill are not part of the solution. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We're going to run out of time today. I'm sorry to say I went along with those great... I'm not sorry that I went along with those great interviews, but uh, I am going to run out of time. So thank you for listening to the Pro-America Report. And uh, don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and... Um, 
and check in on all these great segments and sign up for the daily email that goes to your into your email box every uh, Monday through Friday, every morning at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 uh, a.m. Pacific time. And again, let me uh, give a tribute in my own life. Some great veterans. My grandfather on my mother's side was a veteran. Uh, excuse me, on my father's side was a veteran, served in World War II. I didn't know him. He died before I was uh, born, but he, uh, he served in World War II. My brother is a great veteran uh, of the Iraq Wars, uh, Afghanistan. A uh, good buddy of mine, Randy Soriano, is a Marine, a uh, great veteran. So many veterans uh, in our lives that we can thank on today. We remember, and today we remember them all. And in a special way, I lift a prayer of thanksgiving that we have such wonderful men and women in our lives who will serve for us. So let me say thank you uh, to our producer filling in for Noah Dingley, our producer Chris Dugan, uh, helping out. As always, thank you, Chris, and also to Joanna for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.